Yes, Lord, we ask you to make us holy like you are. And so as we're seated in your presence today, we ask you to come and do your work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as you heard me say this opening up this morning, part of what these corporate gathering times are that we're a part of, whether we're on-site or online, is community and that we are, are a part of doing this together. This morning at the first service, we got to dedicate a baby. We got to say goodbye to somebody who's moving to BC, and we celebrated somebody's 50th anniversary. And Leah still had time to preach. We did all that, and we still worshiped. So uh, it's, it's really good to have family to celebrate those moments with. That's part of the reason why we do life groups. It's good to come worship together, all lined up in a row or sitting at home on your couch, lined up facing the screen. Vanna, what do you got going on there? If you aren't on, if you didn't catch that video, Leah's working that pulpit like I've never seen before. So, where was I? Lost. Just, she constantly makes me go gaga goo goo. This, if you're online and you don't realize, she's my wife. That's why I can say that. Normally that gets preachers in trouble. Um. And so we want to be doing community together. It's part of the benefit of being in the family of God is, is these highlights. Leah's going to be talking about mountains and valleys. And you really want to remember that that is the gift of community. You get to celebrate together in the valleys and you have someone to help carry you and encourage you in the mountaintops. And you have someone to help carry you and encourage you in the valleys. And so we need that. That's why we do life groups. Life groups is a time to pray together about things, to study the Bible or some spiritual themes together, but a huge part of it is getting to know each other. That's where I was. We go to church and we do all these lines facing forward, and that's a great way to worship in a large context, but in order to actually get to know each, each other, not much of life happens in a straight line. It happens in circles and where you can look at each other and see each other and these, these cross connections going on. And so the life group signups are at the back if you're here or you can call or email and we will get you involved in which one you would like to be. There's biblical book themes, there's other book themes, there's a, a ladies group, there's a young adults group that I told the first congregation I'm going to just show up at and see what, how strict they are at their levels or how good their discernment is to see if I could still get in under the wire. And uh, so be a part of a life group if at all you can. The other part of, of community that we are learning to experiment in, it's part of why Brandon has joined the staff team, is to navigate online community. That we understand not everybody can be here at the same time. We understand not everybody wants to be in the building with other people at the same time for whatever reason. And just from shift work to health to all sorts of things. But Brandon has started a thing after the live stream. And if you are online, you'll see it in the YouTube link or on the church online platform. There's a, there's a Zoom link you can hit. And after, immediately after the service, you can go join a, a group and have some discussion about a couple questions or say hello or ask for prayer for five or ten minutes after the service so that there's at least a, a piece of connecting with somebody outside the walls of the room that you happen to be watching in if, if you're watching the live stream. So... Please uh, give a shout out to Brandon when you're on there and say that I did what he asked me to do. <laughs> Leah's going to come preach. She's preaching. I don't know if it's really part two, but prior to Brandon speaking about the transfiguration last week, she already had a message kind of stirring about that passage. And so 
part two or the sequel or whatever we want to do, Jesus transfigured the next generation coming with Leah Beitler right now, so I want to pray for her. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this godly woman who I have the privilege of calling my wife and friend, and pray God blessing on her now and release her to do what you've called her to do, and that's to share your words with this congregation. And so anoint her, I pray. May the words of the Spirit flow through her into hearts that you have already prepared. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Testing. Yep, there I am. I'm very thankful for Dallas that he lets me do this. So he is gracious in sharing his pulpit and I get to be the recipient. And sometimes I just, I have to be honest, I just get really so excited about something that I found in scripture and then it's like, bubbling up. And so that's what happened last week when Brandon was preaching on the transfiguration. He did such a great job and it was it was like captivating my mind and I couldn't let it go. And so I kept on having this scripture coming up about building shelters and that term just kept going on and on in my head about building shelters. So I hope that you will find some treasures in this like I did. And um, it's just, it's very cool to me. So God bring the treasures now. So the transfiguration sounds like a massive big word and it is because it transformed Jesus's whole being into probably what he more looks like in heaven, on earth, on the top of the mountain. Um, and in the three synoptic gospels, the Matthew passage, Mark, and then Luke, all three of those talk about this big moment, the transfiguration. And last week, Brandon hung out in Matthew, and this week we're going to hang out in Luke. And it's just uh, very cool. So we're going to dive right in. Luke chapter 9, 28 to 37. We're going to start with, and we'll do a couple other verses at the end. I love to put myself in to scripture. And I like to think about where I would be, who I would be acting like, what would be going on where Jesus would be. It's just part of the way that I think. And so I'm inviting you on this little adventure that we're going to have. We're all going up the mountain together today. So get your hikers on. We're doing this. Um, like even you, Irene, with your knee. It's happening. So Irene just had knee surgery. She's doing great. Um, and so come with me and put yourself there. See where you would be. Verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, so this is like a week, about eight days after the conversation, the big conversation was Jesus told his disciples about a really important thing, and it was his death and him rising again. And they didn't really know what that was all about. And we know that they didn't understand it because later on, I think it's in Mark, um, it says that the, the disciples were coming down the mountain and they were talking about how Jesus said he was going to rise again. And what did that mean? What did that even mean to rise again? So 
after that big conversation, so that's, that's fairly huge. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again, like, big. Then he goes on to say, and if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. That's terrifying. They know what a Roman cross is, but they don't really get it, right? Just like none of us would. So the next part, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now that also is huge because Jesus regularly went up the mountain, but he almost, well, everything that we've seen in scripture says that he always goes alone. Jesus goes up to the mountain to get away from the crowds and he spends time with his father to regain his soul, to regain his rest, to remind him of who he is. So him going up the mountain, there's something pretty special. And actually, um, it says there, it's, there, there's debate on which two mountains this could be. But it's either one mountain that was 1,900 feet above or 9,000 feet above. So this was a trek up the mountain. This was a serious trek. And he invites Peter, John, and James to go with him. A very huge privilege. Can you imagine being the ones to see? They've been watching Jesus go up and down the mountain, but they've never really known what happens at the top of the mountain. So now they get to go with him and see it face to face. And that's a pretty big deal because, like, glory comes, if you know the rest of the story. So this is big. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. So glory, like literal glory happens. Verse 30, suddenly the two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Big. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The New Living Translation says, speaking of his exodus from this world. So I couldn't get over this. I was imagining Jesus and how excited he would have been to see Moses and Elijah because he hadn't seen them for 30 years. And they knew what was actually going on. And he's spending all this time with these people, these disciples and people in the world, us, who don't have a clue about what's really going on. They don't have the upper story. They don't understand heaven's perspective. But Jesus gets a moment in time with Moses and Elijah because God the Father decides that it's important for Jesus to have a moment in time with Moses and Elijah. That Jesus was needing that time to be reminded of what his mission on earth was to be. That's really cool. Like, off the charts cool. Verse 32, Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who were standing with him. So they got to see it. it another trans, another uh, account, I think it was the Matthew one, says they were terrified at the glory. Right, Brandon? That's what it was. 
emotional response, right? So this is what I call mountain life. That's mountain life, seeing the glory. Verse 33, as the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then the last part is the best that Luke says, not knowing what he was saying. <laughs> so I love it. I just love Peter. He is so all in all the time, no matter what, like he's getting out of the boat, he's walking in water, he's doing it all. Everything is all the way for Peter. And it's just like that on this date. Not John, not James. Peter is the one that's like, okay, this is good for us to be here. We're going to stay. I don't want to go back. Let's just, okay, I can, I can make this work. Three shelters, which is kind of weird, because that means that Peter, John, and James had shelters. Uh, sorry, no, no, no. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah had shelters, but the other three didn't. I don't know if they were going to bunk in. I don't know. It was like... A moment in time for Peter to be super hospitable. And he just went to town. And, and also he was thinking like, I am going to stay in the glory here. I will get some time with Moses and Elijah. I have lots of questions. I would be totally that person going, okay, I, I just have too many things that I need to deal with right now. Jesus, this is good for us to be here. Staying. And then what immediately happens? God just steps in. Verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. God just totally breaks through this moment I'm sorry, but I just have visions of it. He breaks through this unicorns and, and rainbows moment for Peter. And he's like, no, no. And he, God, is like, he's so gracious. He's so merciful. He's, he's like, he loves, he loves Peter, John, and James. He loves Peter. He's so sweet. Such a sweet, oh, Yeah. I know you want to make shelters. I know you want to stay here. You've got all these big plans, but no, no. Because God has such a big plan. God cannot keep them on the mountain. They cannot stay on the mountain. He has plans for Jesus to go down that mountain. He has plans for Jesus to go to the cross. And this is the whole point that Jesus is there. It's the whole point that Moses and Elijah were sent to talk to him, to encourage him, to remind him, to keep him on task and just know who he was as the son, God's son. This is not getting disrupted for anything because Jesus is on mission. He cannot keep any of them at the top of the mountain. Devastating. For Peter, John, and James. 
Verse 36, after the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent. And at that time, told no one what they had seen. So, I, like, it's just silence. What, what are you going to say after that? In, he says nothing. They say nothing then. But later on in the, the second letter that Peter writes in the Bible we see that he does talk about this experience. And he tells the people that he's writing to about what happened. And, and it says this, 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, it's not on the screen. For we did not know, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard, we heard this voice that came from heaven. And when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter held that amazing glory with him and walked into many places as the one who started the church in Jerusalem. He's Peter. He's who the church was built on, right? The rock. He did not forget the glorious moment. Verse 37 says, back to Luke, the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. I love it. Just like you said, Brandon. When they came down from the mountain, a large crowd's right there. And it's like you get home from your big time away, and you're just like, bam, right back to reality. Everything's happening full, fully. This crowd is there, and they're panicked because all that time, while well, they've been up on the mountain, well, shouldn't, I shouldn't say all the time. It doesn't say how long they were there. During the time that they're coming down, at least, this group is trying to get this boy set free from a demon. And so the disciples that are left, that didn't get to go up the mountain, they're left here dealing with this crowd and dealing with this boy who needs to get free. And so the father is running to Jesus, asking Jesus to heal his son and to set him free from this demon and so we'll pick it up and i'll just read it to you oh and i want to say this is called valley life when you hit the crowd and you hit the real life that's valley life so we saw mountain life this is valley life verse 41 jesus replied you unbelieving and perverse generation how long will i be with you and put up with you it hit Jesus as well, coming down the mountain. Bring your son here. And they were all, catch it, astonished at the greatness of God. They were all astonished in the valley. Astonished at the greatness of God. There was glory on the mountain, but there was astonished at the greatness of God in the valley. I was astonished at astonished. I was like, whoa. 
And why are they astonished? Because Jesus sets the captives free. That's what he does. Freedom is coming because that's what Jesus does in the valley. He sets us free. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit help us to traverse these mountain and valley experiences just over and over and over. They walk us through so that we can get through without getting stuck. So despite there being wonderful, literally wonderful things, both on the mountain and in the valley, we, I, want to control where we set up the camp. So, like Peter trying, you know, he was trying to build a shelter at the top, and I am all about that. I love the joy, I love the glory, I love the fun and the party and the celebrate good times. I am all on that too much. <laughs> Dallas says no, okay. I love the celebrate. But there also is room for the valley. Brandon, you said it best. It's green in the valley. There's growth. We try, though, to shelter ourselves from the ups and downs in our own particular most comfortable ways. And I was thinking about these ways that we do it, the most comfortable ways that we have. And we usually come at it from different angles because it depends on who we are and what we're most natural doing. And I thought of these three different ways that I have seen it happen. Number one is, these are your little mountains slash shelters. Isn't that cool? They're mountains and shelters. And valleys, too. The first one is thinkers. The second one is feelers. The third one is doers. And the thinkers are thinking. Now, this is Dallas. He is a thinker. And he thinks, he makes me tired just all, at all his thinking. He is thinking about every scenario that could happen and all the ways that he can build the shelter over us, that's you, to make sure that you don't get hurt, that his family doesn't get hurt. He's thought through all the different things and giving Brooklyn and Boston all the warnings of what they could encounter at skiing, water skiing, walking down the sidewalk, or driving, uh, sleeping. Yeah, okay, okay. He's thinking. A lot. Feelers. The feelers of the world. I'm not a feeler of the world, but I have friends that are feelers. And they just feel so much. And it's really overwhelming for me to think about that. They feel the, their way through. They feel their way out. Do you guys know feelers? Yeah? I think you know feelers. You're just not telling me. I love the feelers. I have some of 
my best friends are feelers. You know who you are. I am a doer. The doers of the world, we just can't stop doing. So if Dallas and I are in a heightened state of conversation, which yes, does happen at our house, actually it happens here too, um, and we, if we're in a heightened state, do you know what I'm doing? I am down on the floor cleaning the floor while we're having an argument because I need to do something and I'm, I'm putting things away. I, I'm best if I'm chopping something and I am doing something the whole time. So which shelter would you be found building? And where would you build your shelter if you had you just choose. These ups and downs and ups and downs are a rhythm that we have in our life. It's inevitable. Whether we want them or not, they are coming, they have come, they will continue for all of us until we get to glory and then mountains will be everywhere in heaven. But until then, we get to experience the ups and the downs. And it's the way that God meant it to be. It makes me think of camp. And as I always say, camp is the best of times and camp is the worst of times. And I mean that because there are huge mountaintop experiences where the glory comes and you experience and taste heaven. You feel the presence of God and you know him intimately and there are times where you are walking together shoulder to shoulder with people with kids with adults with all of us and we're walking it out patiently unconditional love listening just walking it out holding somebody's hand through the night so they can sleep And you know what happens in those moments? People get free. That's where people get free. It's astonishing. God longs for us to hear the words, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Because glorious freedom comes when we make Jesus our true shelter. Jesus is our only shelter. He's the only one that can truly give us shelter. All the intellectualizing, rationalizing, emoting, doing, cleaning, fixing, it doesn't give us shelter. Truly, it runs out. If it gives us temporary shelter, it always runs out. But when we have both things. Self-awareness, and this is the horizontal line in our dealings with one another. We, we are aware of each other. We are aware of how to love ourselves and each other. We become aware of whether we are a thinker, a feeler, a doer. We are aware of where we're going to get caught building a shelter. And then 
God awareness. And it makes a beautiful cross when we are aware of who God is in our life, when we submit to God and who he says Jesus is. And so that little circle in the middle that is yellow there, that creates holy curiosity. When they intersect, we have holy curiosity towards ourselves, towards Jesus, our Savior, and then it allows us to traverse those ups and those downs in the pain. It allows us to go up and go down when we have holy curiosity towards others and towards God. It keeps us from making shelters of our own. We can learn this from Peter's reaction. We can learn this that the mountain needs self-awareness and God-awareness and the valley needs self-awareness and God-awareness. And then that gives us holy curiosity and we can invite Jesus to be our shelter. And that's the cross. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. When Jesus is our shelter, we get to see him in his glory, the mountaintop glory, and we get to see him in his astonish, astonishing greatness. And that astonishment that happens when we see God at work freeing people, there's just, there's nothing better. Jesus is our shelter. In Psalm 27, verse 5, it says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Some of you are wondering where God was as your shelter when you felt too exposed. Jesus is our shelter, and I'm also very sorry that you felt exposed. I have felt that way. Today, Jesus is inviting us to self-awareness and God-awareness so that we can have holy curiosity to learn, to learn how to let him be our shelter, not create shelters of of our own. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we just breathe you in. Jesus, thank you for being our shelter. And I pray, God, that you would come into this moment for those who are 
wondering where you were in the exposed moments and the exposed times. In the times that they and I were building our own shelters of our own making that we thought would keep us safe. We thought would provide what we were needing at that moment. And then even the shelters that we try to keep up all the time so that we can keep from going back to those places of intense emotion, fear, anger, and situations that are just so difficult to navigate. And so Jesus, we ask you now that you would come and you would heal our hearts. Come and heal our hearts so that we don't try and try and try to build our own shelters. We're sorry for building all these things that we think are going to protect us that never really protected us. We want you, Jesus, because you're the only real thing. so God I pray for those who are struggling to even say yes to that that you would make room for them that you would walk with them through the ups and the downs Holy Spirit call their name reveal to them your love your unconditional love that just goes ahead of us leading and guiding and we will thank you for this healing that you bring. We will thank you for the way that you can bring your glory in all the places of our lives. And freedom. We ask for freedom in Jesus' name.